LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast Research Edition. <laughs> I forgot what. Yeah, what that, noise I made. I don't know. What, research Edition. But that was that was weak. That was weak. I'm sorry. That was weak. That's Todd morning. Atkins. Child, Child at play sound effects. That that <laughs> it, would be pretty low. That, that was the low power bar that I just had. So hopefully, <laughs> that's that a probably that's me. probably a better sound effect than much better. It probably is crackling of power bar package. Yes, and my name is Daniel Lim, and we have Scott McConnell, the executive director of Lifeway Research, back with us. Thanks, Scott. Glad to be here. Yeah, and we're going to be talking about research, brand new research on sexual abuse in the church. Yeah. So. This is not a fun one. No. So, listener beware if you have children in the car. We're not going to say anything. I don't know. I don't know why I said that, but. You never know. You probably you never can tell. My kids have listened to this podcast in the new churches one, and they're like, "This is oh, so boring." I can't tell you how many, <laughs> how no, many uh, pastors tell me that that their kids like, listen, yeah, or that they it's think a mix it's boring. On, uh, it's a mix on whether or not they find it boring or they like it. Yeah, I've actually met kids who like you're Todd Atkins, and I'm like, <laughs> you're the you're more excited, fanboy. way more excited wow. than any adult I've ever met. Definitely do awesome. a selfie with those kids. Yes. Oh, for sure. So if you've missed any of the other research episodes that we have done with Scott McConnell and you live in the U.S., all you have to do is text the word research to the number 888-111 and you'll be able to download the research on all of that. If you do not live in the States, just go to our show notes for today's episode and you'll find a link there to download the research in the past and also today's research. All right. So let's start our questions off with the first one. Why? Why this research? Our culture has been talking a lot about child sexual abuse, sexual assault, uh, uh, sexual violence, and LifeWay Research has addressed it a couple times in the past uh, in surveys of pastors. Mm. But as we continue to have conversations, honestly, good conversations following those studies, uh, the the, the question kept bubbling up, well, what about people in the pew? What what are people in church thinking about? The, where the church is at on this issue, okay, and, okay, and, and we really thought we need to we need to hear from 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 that perspective, and and as Lifeway considered it, um, honestly, we had some conversations with with J D Greer, uh, yeah. who who is uh, leading the Southern Baptist Convention uh, the next couple of years, and uh, he's got a task force together, uh, really considering what the church can be doing yeah. uh, to address this issue, and and he encouraged us to to take that step, and and so Brad Wagner. Uh, said, Let, let's do it. So yeah. LifeWay funded this study okay. and, and we surveyed 1,800 Protestant churchgoers to, to really understand their perspective on, on, on this, this topic. Yeah. So this is really church attendees yes. filling out their perspective on how the church is addressing this, how they're, how pastors are. I mean, what is the... So, yeah. Who all did you weed out? So if they were employed at a church, we, we weeded them out. But okay. otherwise, th- those who attended once a month or more. Okay. And okay. so, you know, if who, who attend, currently attend. So if, if somebody had a bad experience and have left the church for good, they would not be in this study. Uh, hopefully we'll catch them in a future study of, mm. of formerly churched folks. Um, but uh, among church attendees, w- we're finding out some of their experience, what we could legally ask them, uh, but then also w- what they see. Uh, uh, 
whether their church is a safe place and how their church would respond if some allegations are made within the church. Okay. So is this really a matter of, hey, here's what came out in the Houston newspaper. And then like, is this, is this kind of a response to how this has hit the news in this manner? We've actually been working on this for quite a while. So, so this was fielded uh, at, at, at the beginning of the year. And uh, so we've been doing analysis the last couple months on the data. So, so we were already working on this when, when the Houston Chronicle story came out. Okay. Um, so uh, no, I mean, in the same way journalists are noticing this popping up a lot and, yeah. and Houston Chronicle doing that, that work, uh, you know, as researchers, we're, we're saying, hey, let's let's get some facts to, yeah, to go okay. with this as well. Okay, it's it's interesting when it pops up in the news. I mean, it was with the Houston Chronicle. I mean, that was in the news for a bit, but I mean, when was that? I mean, it's I feel like it hasn't come up at all in the last couple months, right? I mean, it can Has tail it? off a bit, yeah. but, but it, it, it... Like major news outlets, they're continuing to bring it up? Yes, for sure. Okay. I mean, in what I, what I see, I mean, the... The issue is, too, if, you know, whatever we read seems to come up on our feed. I yeah, primarily okay. get all my news from, you know, my phone now. Yeah. And so, and news stories. So, every, you know, almost every morning and maybe a couple of times a day, I'm scrolling through to look. And then also Twitter mm -hmm. is where I find news. So I'm scrolling through to look. So part of it may be that I'm just consuming that type of information um, part of it also is probably, I just think it's out there. I mean, the most recent issue of Christianity Today um, had a, a big uh, article on it, an extensive article on it with, I think, five or six different stories uh, of different people. So it, it continues to be. Yeah, and, and the nature of the Houston Chronicle story, because it was historical, it kind of said, hey, this has happened a lot. Yeah, And okay. here's, here's names and places. It, it kind of it's anchored the conversation since. So people may not be referring to that story, but now in the back of everybody's mind, it's like, oh, this is present. Yeah, okay, okay, no, that makes sense. All right, so for our second question. What are what really are the, the common beliefs about sexual misconduct in the church, you know, that the research kind of either confirms or denies? Because I think we all have kind of an idea of what we're talking about here, but um, what are the common beliefs and and misconceptions? You know, some of the positive ones are are, are that most attendees believe that the, the church is a place of healing, and, and so if somebody's experienced child sexual abuse, uh, nine out of ten church attendees believe that the church would be a place for them to heal from from that that horrific experience. Um, and, and the same number, about nine out of ten, would say if somebody experienced sexual assault or rape as an adult the church would be a place right. to, to heal from that. Oh, well. So it treats both separately. It treats, uh, it asks questions about children, but also about adults. Yeah. But these are among churchgoers though. Yeah. So that, they, that churchgoers believe the church is a place of yeah. healing. Okay. And, and they're specifically talking about their own church. Yes. And, okay. and so, you know, no, you know, we, I think we all know our own church enough, uh, but also to say, Hey, our church isn't always good at everything. <laughs> And so, right. so for that many people to say, you know, in general, I, I, I think I think our church, you know, is a, a place of healing. Um, you know, one of the other questions that comes up is, uh, uh, you know, if allegations come up, would uh, would a person uh, be believed? And 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 three fourths of, of church attendees believe that if somebody brought allegations uh, within the church, that that, that 
that they had been assaulted, yeah. uh, that they would be believed in that context. Okay, that's good. And that's a, yeah. that's a good number. Obviously, you know. Do you think that'd be lower in other contexts? Um, that's a little hard to say. I yeah. mean, obviously, in the in the public conversation today, yeah, you know, no. I mean, you, you know, very quickly, you know, misconduct is labeled as such in, in our public conversations, mm-hmm. and and. And the necessary public shaming begins, you know, the, but within like a workplace, within a club, within, you know, other, other similar social settings, Mm -hmm. you know, that's where you kind of say, well, what what would the percentage be? Yeah. The the interesting thing now, I think, and I'm sure um, we could dig up research on it, but, you know, thinking about this now, bringing it this into this conversation would really be like athletics. So high school athletics, college athletics, that's where I seem to think um, a lot of this happens as well. That would be a similar thing to know, okay, compared to that, you know, how, how, how do we as churches compare to that would be really interesting to look at. Yeah, that would be, that would be. And even even though it's a positive number at seventy six percent, you still say you know that that's a quarter of churches really aren't ready for that conversation, and, right. and hopefully they never have to hit that conversation. But but to to mentally, leaders in the church need to be prepared that if, if accusations come, you know we're ready to take them seriously. Yeah. Well, and that's just the belief that my church is. Yeah. The question is, my church really ready for it? Do they have a plan in place? Or is it, no, we went to a, a, a seminar once like five years ago uh, and we're good to go. Or is it, no, we have a plan in place. Um, not only does the, the children's director person know, but all the other people know, hey, this is what you're supposed to do if this happens. This is how you handle it. This is who you come to. These are the forms that you fill out. This is the communication that happens. You know, this is when we call someone, all of that. And it's so, so easy in a church setting where where we hope we know each other. Yeah. You know, to say, you know, if those allegations come up and the church doesn't have a plan, you know, there's a real good chance they'd give somebody a pass. They'd go, oh, no, they would never do that. Mm. And, and. It, the plan said uh, yeah, that the, one of the reasons to have a plan is to say no. Every one of us can fail. Oh, the pl- so the and plan's s- going to help you recognize. So the plan's going to say we're okay. going to treat it seriously. Yeah. Even though, even though deep down we don't think that person yeah could yeah. do could do that, but we're still going to follow these steps and investigate. Oh, it feels and, horrible for everybody involved. Yeah. Um, because it's you know I as the church leader, somebody's coming to me. They feel bad for having to come to me. The person that they are, you know, um, have a concern about or a concern about this situation, that's obviously going to create a lot of conflict uh, and feelings. And there's so many people involved in it. But doing your due diligence to say, hey, we're not really sure if this is credible or not, uh, it is going through that interview process with both the, the person that, is um, bringing up the allegation, but also the person who is, um, you need to conduct the interview with both uh, the accuser and accusee. Well, this is this is really helpful. So Scott, as you were conducting the research, working with the team, trying to assess the results and all of that, what surprised you most about it? 
I, I think one of the biggest uh, things we keep coming back to, and, and maybe it shouldn't be a surprise to me anymore, but you know, people in the church do do sin less, mm. <laughs> and and this is another reminder that you know when we asked people within the church if they knew someone uh, who had ever uh, experienced uh, child sexual assault or or uh, or, or assault as an adult, mm-hmm. um, we we're just in the 12 to 14% range, knew someone in their church. Uh, you know, that would be lower than, than numbers in, in the general public. Uh, but the, uh, but it, but honestly, that number could also be driven lower by people not feeling like they could talk about it. Oh. Even if it was years ago, yeah, okay. uh, not reaching a safe enough spot in, in the church to talk about it. That's so, interesting. So, we, you know, we talk about the church being a, a, a place for healing, um, you know, but we only have a little over 10% uh, of folks, about one out of six people who actually say, I know someone in our church who's experienced assault. And uh, and if, if we're a place of healing, you'd think we'd almost be above average, that, yeah. that we'd, we'd yeah. be so welcoming that people would that want to come here. would be... Yeah. Now I wonder though, if, now I know you didn't survey pastors, but I wonder if pastors in churches, if, if they would know more, because in a sense, if you're a pastor of a church and it's happened in the church, is it really something that you call out and address in the pulpit? And even if you do, not everyone's going to be there every single week too. So right. if, let's say right. you're an attendee of the church and you're only coming a couple times a month and you only know those in your small group or Sunday school class, then what? Yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, uh, another reason to highlight the, the, those those answers is for a pastor, really in any size church, if you throw a number like one out of six people, that means every time you bring up this topic, there's going to be somebody in the room yeah. that's experienced right. it. And, and so, you know, this isn't, this isn't really a topic to, to pound the pulpit on. This is not one to, to, to act callously like that's them over there. You know, this is like any other sin. This is something that has hurt people here. Yeah, that's and, really good. And, and we need to be walking, walking with them through that. Yeah. Now, as, as you were surveying congregants about, you know, church attendees, about their perception of how the church is handling this, do they feel like the church is handling it well? I mean, what 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 else kind of surprised you about the research that you just didn't expect? Um, you know, honestly, the church is getting great scores on on valuing women. Okay, and, and we That's know good. that yeah. that slightly more women than men attend church. So in that sense, we shouldn't be surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, knowing that that women typically are are the victim more often than men. Uh, you know, 94% agreeing that women are valued in the church, that, mm. that there's, you know, things said and done regularly that, that, that reinforce that. And 75% strongly agreeing with that. I, I, th- I thought that was, that was surprisingly high. That was, that, that was very reaffirming for, for women to be saying that as well as men. Um, a, another one that maybe surprised me is, you, you know, hugging can be a part of, of church life in yes. some churches. Okay. So mm. are, do some people take that the wrong way? And Interesting. And we did find that 17% say, you know, some of those seem like they're more than just a, a, a greeting. Uh, wow. And, and so, you know, that's something we do need to be careful of in church life. Uh, you know, 
you know, you know we, we, we know that more than just a handshake can, can be, can be good. It can send a good signal that, that, you know, we're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, but you know, there's also a line there. We've got to be very sensitive to. Yeah. What are you thinking, Todd? <laughs> um, anybody that knows me well knows that I'm not a hugger. Um, I will f- throw up a full block on you if you come in, <laughs> male or female. I don't really care. Um, I'm just one of those people who yeah. is very hug averse. You're selective in terms um, of who you hug. You know what's really interesting? It would be um, like you know our team would be like I've I've not hugged anybody on our team that I know of, uh, and then at the same time if. Stetzer was here. I'd hug Stetzer. I don't know why. He's a big teddy bear. He's, no, <laughs> it's just like he's. It's just different. Um, or people that you haven't seen in a long time. Like once they're off my team, and you know, if I see them five years later at That's a conference point. or something, I'm like, yeah. Um, but that is a very, 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 very rare thing. So yeah, much so okay. that our team um, comments on it from time to time. <laughs> They're wishing they were receiving hugs. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't I'm think just so. Saying, no, but that's a real. That is a real issue in a lot of churches. And honestly, you know, I can remember back to um, days when uh, I was doing camps and things like that as a student leader. A lot of times it would be, "Hey, you know, here's a part of the training was here's yeah. appropriate, you know, side hug mm, yeah. um, and things like that." But it's got to go beyond that, guys. I mean, you know, people go, oh, I'm all right. You know, I've been trained on the side hug. No, it goes beyond the side hug. Yeah. Yes. All right. So (laughs) hugs. Now, when it comes to teaching about sex, right, uh, did you guys address that in terms of, yeah, just, I mean, does the church address this? I mean, and, and is it really a matter of sexual abuse or is it just the broader topic of Sex, I mean, what did you find as you as you work through those or that research with the... Well, we definitely have... Go ahead. Are you... Because we got a chance to look at some of the research. Are you talking about the... Have you heard a sermon addressing this issue in the last year? Well, just anything. Is the, is the church talking about sex? Because I was surprised about yeah. that. We, we do have some churches that rarely talk about anything about sex. Okay. And, and it's almost one out of five churches. Really? 18%. Wow. And so, uh, you know, in, in a culture that's over-sexualized, yeah. to me, that's very problematic to not have the church's voice into oh, totally. what is healthy sexuality, what is God's view on sex, since he's the inventor of it. Um, that, that, that's an, an, important, yeah. uh, an important thing for the, the church to be talking about. But we do have two-thirds of, of church attendees who say their church regularly af- affirms the value of every woman and man, which is kind of okay. where, where the whole conversation of, of sexual right sexual conduct starts with, which is, is seeing other people as children of God and having dignity and having worth uh, rather than treating them as objects. Okay, so that's a good start. Yes. That the majority... On that point, it's just we got to follow it up as well. It's, I, I love your point, especially because we do live in a over-sexualized culture too. If we're not teaching people about the biblical ethic on sex, then where are they going to learn that? Yeah, yeah. You know, they'll, they'll yeah. Si- silence is deadly. On, yes, on that. Unfortunately, I do think as well the churches that you know, if we if we think back in the last couple of years or five years. 
uh, to churches that have addressed this issue, have they addressed it appropriately? Or the ones that we know about that stick out when you think about, oh, a sermon series on sex, we all can think of two or three downright debacles in our heads of how this was handled in, in churches. And it's not so easy. I think, that's, I think yeah. that's part of it. It's well, like we don't want to be that. Yeah, because as a preacher, it's, okay, how do you address this? What do you talk about? And are you addressing married couples? Are you addressing singles? I mean, you're going to have both in the congregation. But then relating specifically to this research, I mean, yes, there's the broader topic of sex, but what about sexual assault or sexual violence? Is there a place for that in a sermon? Is there a whole sermon dedicated to that? Is it an illustration? Like, are, are pastors talking about this? As far as churchgoers, I mean, I would think this is a topic where if the pastor brings it up, the churchgoer would remember it. Yes, probably. Oh, for sure. <laughs> you know, it's better like, than the average like sermon. Hearing the like, birds and the bees from your parents. Yes. It's like, oh, <laughs> this is awkward. <laughs> and right now, this week, eight out of Just ten. Just call it the, th- the talk. The it's a great talk. sermon series. That's free for you guys. <laughs> the talk. Go for it. No. Eight out of ten church attendees don't remember their pastor going there in a okay. sermon Specifically, specifically to, talking about sexual assault. Okay. So not the positive side of sexuality, but sexual assault and, and sexual yes. violence. And again, you know, if, if some of these are, folks are only coming once or twice a month, they could have missed that Sunday, that, that type of thing. But still, that means the majority of pastors likely have not hit it. Well, okay. So I would say, as a former pastor, uh, I guess I'm still a kind of a pastor, but not in that way. The interesting thing to me would be like reading this stat and going, okay, you know, 80% of churchgoers haven't heard a sermon on addressing this issue. I would be like, well, I'm not going to preach a sermon on that. Um, I might preach a sermon on healing. That's how I would get there. I I will do it, but not in that way. And I would call people – Toward that, I would point definitely toward that type of healing in particular, but it would be more about healing uh, and, than it would be. Yeah, I would I would agree. That's going to be that, the, the more frequent we can, thing. We can dismiss um, doing it just by saying, oh, well, that's inappropriate. I would never do that. I would never preach a sermon addressing sexual assault. Well, you there's plenty of cases in the Bible where we can go back and look to and, and address this issue. So... I would say um, don't dismiss it. Don't use that as an easy way to dismiss it. Bring it in in context of healing. Bring it in in the context of if you're preaching expositorily, I guarantee you you're going to run across it sooner or later. So don't skirt the issue. Go for it when you get a chance. Yeah, like what happens when you get to 2 Samuel 13 and the rape of Tamar happens? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Are you going to skip that passage if you're preaching through that or what are the ways? So even in then it's, I think because this is such a cultural issue now and it's becoming more and more, I mean, it's been around for a long time, just more risen to the surface. I think pastors can definitely, or definitely do need to be a little bit more intentional when they are preaching through passages or talking about relationships or talking about sex or talking about any of this, that they realize, hey, there is this narrative going on. Right. So yep. how do you then address it, even if it's in, in an illustration? And if you're starting with doctrine and you're talking about yeah. uh, being created in God's image, the Imago Dei, 
you know, that's a place to say, well, where do we see that corrupted in, in society today? And, and so we see shootings, we see, uh, you, you know, we see assault. And, and and when some of those things come up, you know, that's a way to quickly address it and say, you know, no, we, we need to be looking at everyone as a creation of God. Yeah, you're right. And, and we cannot be crossing those lines or viewing people as anything less. And in doing so, you know, we're addressing it pretty quickly, but it's kind of, re- it, it's that reminder so that if if someone in the room has crossed that line and, and we found that among churchgoers, they knew, 4% of them knew of somebody who had crossed that line, not as the victim, but as the assailant. Yeah. And okay. it had not come to light yet. Hmm. And so these are, you know, it, it's present and we need to call sin, sin. And and it can feel like a checklist sometimes if you're doing it, but if you're making the biblical point well first, then you're simply drawing the line over to, you know, here's an example today of where we cross that line. Yeah, that's good. So so what's the biggest takeaway for us and as church leaders and for churches from this research? Well, two questions that we asked churchgoers uh, had to do with perceptions of Protestant pastors today. So it was a little shift of perspective from their own church to, to pastors in general. And uh, we, we found that 32% of churchgoers believe that many more pastors uh, will be found to have uh, abused children or teens and that, that have come to light so far. Even though it feels like, you know, there's been one every couple of weeks lately, uh, where we're hearing that, and and a similar number, twenty nine percent, are indicating that many more Protestant pastors uh, will be found to have have assaulted wow. uh, other adults and sexually assaulted, and and so uh, you know that that's a lot of churchgoers. So almost a third of churchgoers have this perception that there's there's this there's this wave. Of, of, of accusations that will come through the Protestant mm-hmm. church in the years ahead. So they're not talking about their church specifically? Correct. It's yeah. just in general? Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I found that interesting too, because if you look at what they would say about their church, they'd be like, oh no, yeah, we're good. This is actually a place for healing. This is actually a place where somebody can find support. This is actually a place that um, I feel protected in. Like all those stats are there, but it's other churches. Yeah. Very interesting. And so, you know, really, the the reason I think that's the biggest takeaway is that that's a huge perception problem that that Protestant churches in general have, and if that's the perception, then that is reality in people's minds, and so, you know, that that leads to the big question of well, what are we doing to change that perception, and and you know, is the church actively engaged in trying to show either that that's not the case or that we're getting to the bottom of the problems that have occurred? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that, that is, that is really, I mean, that's, that's surprising. It's, yeah. I mean, part of it is the news, the news cycle. I mean, if the church and if pastors are only coming up in the broader mainstream news cycle, as it relates to negative news, not to the positive, then how does that shape the perception of the average churchgoer? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, there's and a non-churchgoer, yeah, potential yeah. churchgoer. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of Protestant churches in America, more than 300,000. So even if a low percentage of pastors, tiny percentage of pastors actually did one of these things, that's enough to be in the news. It's true. For a long time. And, Very true. And, and so... Uh, so in one sense, uh, you know, in looking at these numbers, I fully expect there to be cases coming up regularly 
that are, that are heartbreaking. And, and yet percentage wise, I don't think it will be a huge number, but I, I, I think it's going to be fairly constant. Yeah. Cause you think if there's 400,000, 1% would be 4,000. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, that's a big number. Yeah. <laughs> that, that will, that, that keeps law enforcement busy. That's going to keep, yeah. you know, again, a small percentage of churches busy, but, uh, you know, those are heartbreaking events in, in, in the life of a church. Yeah. No, that's really good. Anything else that surprised you or, or sorry, uh, in terms of biggest takeaways? I, I mean, I really, I really think that that's it. And, and, you know, the other one being what we talked about earlier of people saying their church is a place of healing, but really apparently not safe enough to talk about it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Man. Yeah. Cause that's, there's a lot that churches can do that, can do in light of that. So before we get into that and discuss what your church can do in light of all this, we do have some practical suggestions uh, in relation to that. I just want to share a quick word from our sponsor for today. As a church leader, you know how tough marriage ministry can be. There's never enough time to help every couple. There's not enough resources to go around and we often don't feel like marriage experts. And that's why we want to tell you about Woo Marriage, which is a brand new tool from Lifeway that provides Christ-centered marriage coaching for every couple in your church. Backed by research and design with your church in mind, Woo Marriage provides a plan for your marriage ministry with video courses for all seasons of marriage. The best part of it all, when you look at the courses on communication, finance, is handling conflict and more is that with one click you can assign courses and start coaching so you can use the offer code leadership at woomarriage.com slash free trial that's the offer code leadership for one free month okay so for our last question for the podcast what can now churches do in light of all this i think the, the important thing is for churches to be proactive in trying to protect children and to protect adults from from sexual misconduct and and as we asked churchgoers we, we got some great numbers more than nine out of ten saying their church is a safe place mm. um and and where, where where children teens and adults are being protected uh, but if we look closer at those numbers we see that about a quarter of of, of attendees are saying they're, they're not strongly agreeing with those statements. Okay. So there, there's room for growth in a lot of churches. And so, so my exhortation would be not, not only do you need to know and to be doing the right things, but you also have to be communicating that you're doing them. So your church, so in some of these cases, these churchgoers could be in a church that's doing, that are doing the right things, have the right policies and procedures in place, but they've never communicated that they have uh, policies in their children's ministry, yeah, that they've got okay. things in place. And so people are missing that fact. And and that's as bad as not doing it. That's huge. Yeah, because you might be doing the right thing, but yeah, if people don't know, then no. yeah, well, that's good, especially if you're trying to create a safe place. Well, I'm actually pretty proud that for the last five years, at least on Ministry Grid, if a person went through the basic training pathway for a volunteer in a children's area, they would get two different courses, really. One is on protecting and child uh, abuse prevention. The other is a response to it. So one is, hey, you know, making sure I have a background check is one thing, but then actually training that person on how to protect themselves and ch protect children, uh, as well as then what procedures go in place if you suspect something. All those things have been very well documented on on GRID. Eight ways to minister to a child who has been abused. Like, 
There's a bunch of different things that are on there, uh, including screening, uh, including interview questions that happen, may happen afterward. All those templates are available and have been for a long time as part of a grid subscription. Now they're actually free, uh, and we'll put that link in the show notes. The other big thing that is now available, just now available, is from uh, the work that the Southern Baptist Convention did on sexual abuse prevention, uh, along with the ERLC, they put together another full course called Church Cares. You can find that at churchcares.com. And that is a very thorough treatment from a pastoral and, and leader level as well of really understanding what's behind this issue as well as how to use it to um, how, how to use tools to prevent it from happening in your church. That's huge. That's so fantastic. that's at churchcares.com. That's at churchcares.com. Now, is that only, is that like through a Southern Baptist lens or? No, not at all. Okay. Most of the people that are, most of the people that do it are um, non-Southern Baptists. So okay. you have Jen Hollander and, and um, uh, several other people that are engaged and involved in that project that have nothing to do with SBC. They're actually you know, practitioners and experts in that field. Uh, police detective, uh, the, uh, several different people are involved in it. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I'm just going through the site right now, and Den Hollander is an attorney, and then Diane Langberg is a counseling director. She's uh, legit. Man. Andrea Munford is a lieutenant, uh, and then you got a local ch- pastor here in in Nashville, and a relationship coach, Leslie Vernick, and a social worker. And I mean, this is wow. This is crazy in terms of the caliber of who is on this. For sure. And it's all free, churchcares.com. That's all free. All right. Well, going back to Scott's suggestion, yes, I do agree that we do need to communicate this. And I think a course like this, especially with this being um, synced up and linked with Ministry Grid, right? Synced yeah. up and, and being able to actually, it's free for you to actually train your church and for you to communicate to all your volunteers and leaders, hey, this is great training that we have. I mean, it's a free resource. So I think on the one it's, hand, announcing publicly, but first of all, where what can you do this week? I think number one, make sure that every one of your, every adult, every teenager, every every single person who interacts with children, make sure there's a background check done on them. Yeah. Even if you know them, even if right. they're like- <laughs> Even just if they're as, already a leader at your yes, church. Just this last week, capacities. I was getting ready for vacation Bible school. And I was asked to do one of those background checks again, and I, I filled it out. But on the same list asking me to do it was a former pastor at our church yeah. being asked to do it. And that that reaffirmed to me that this is important, that the people we would never suspect of, of, of an indiscretion like this were still asking totally. them yes. to do this. And as you ask your leaders to do training like this on ministry grid, that sends a message. Again, it's those deacons that, you know, they've passed the biblical test of being a deacon. <laughs> um, but you're saying, oh, they need to be trained on this. Right. Well, then well then, I'm willing to do it too. And also from protecting yourself. I mean, the reason why I put that on grid was didn't have anything to do with any of this. This has been since grid started. And that's because having been in a former executive pastor in a larger church, part of what I was doing is protecting our people, absolutely. But I was also protecting my church. I wanted a trackable way to do this. And so you have for free a tool. You have no excuses, people listening. You have a tool that's free 
that's very good that you can assign your people and track and see whether or not they completed training and have a record of that. So I would really encourage you to look at that. Take a look at the show notes or go to churchcares.com and go through that process uh, and you'll be much better, much better for it. Yeah. So definitely ask every volunteer to get a background check. I would also actually run your membership list and your database with the sex offender list, your local sex offender list, because obviously it'll come up if they try to volunteer and you get a background check, but you might actually have attendees in the church who are past sex offenders and you can cross-reference your database with that. So I would definitely do that because you never know if they're in a small group and maybe the small group is meeting in someone else's home and there's kids there, right? So, I mean, there's just, I don't want to freak anyone out there, but I mean, definitely I do some of those precautions and I'd also make sure that your kid's area is sectioned off and that parents, I know a lot of churches are doing the whole sticker thing and you can't tag, but I, I know as much as churches are doing that, there is not always enforced. So make sure that that is enforced make sure that there's just clear boundaries because the best thing you can do for newcomers, especially newcomers who are bringing their kids, is to help them see the safety that there is in dropping their kids off. I mean, there are a lot of parents who might not even have a babysitter over because they're scared. So they're bringing their, they're going to church for the first time and you want them to drop their kids off, but you don't know what this is and you don't know who is there, but if you see, if they see the security in place and if you even see, oh, you're a brand new parent, just to let you know, this could even be in the welcome pack or even as you walk new parents through the check-in process. Hey, just to let you know, every single one of our workers is has a background check and we have security policies and look at how safe it is. And just to communicate that to a newcomer is going to go a long way, right? Totally. So if if a church is not investing in prevention, yeah, then how can a, a church attendee have confidence that 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 they'll handle an accusation yes. with integrity? And 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 we see that uh, eight out of ten attendees uh, believe their church would correctly address misconduct if, if an accusation came up, even if it was costly. Yeah, and the only way you get that kind of confidence is when you see policies in place. And, and taking those policies very seriously that, no, you need that second person in a room today, uh, even if you've been teaching for 30 years. And, uh, you know, and, and saying, yes, you must be trained uh, to, to continue in, in, in this leadership role yeah. and, and things like that. Yeah, that's great. Well, hopefully this episode has been helpful. Be sure to check out, I know we have a couple places to go, but be sure to check out churchcares.com. First and foremost, that's churchcares.com. Even if you have training already, just take a look at what's there. It's all free. And this is going to be a great resource for you to train your church on what matters, on how to prevent, you know, definitely doing the prevention side, but also in terms of how to do intervention as well, if that ever comes up. So that's churchcares.com. And if you want the research that we've talked about and you want to bring this to your board, uh, to deacons, to elders, to your team to discuss even more so, if you're in the States, just text the word research to the number 888-111 or go to our show notes and you can download that as well. Well, thanks again for listening in. And if you haven't yet checked out the Making Disciples podcast with Robbie Gallaty and Chris Swain, they're part of the Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. So just look up Making Disciples on your favorite podcasting app and subscribe today.